shots. Uh, here we are in Playa del Rey, and uh, I have a guest here that I'll tell you about in a second. First of all, I wanted to tell you a couple of things. One is that my short film, which is called Coffee Clutch, is playing at the Cinespace in Hollywood on April 3rd. They have a thing called Short Mondays. If you go to shortmondays.net and check it out, you'll see my film Coffee Clutch there. It stars me and Miguel Sandoval, and it was directed by uh, Irfan Merchant and myself, and I wrote it, and I'd like you to come check it out. Uh, they start dinner there at 7.30, and if you want to do that, you have to make reservations, and I think the screening starts at 8.45, but check it out on the website. That's April 3rd. Another thing that I wanted to talk about at the top of the show is something I've been doing that I really think is, um, is a lot of fun, and that's this thing called Book Pals. The Screen Actors Guild, they, they have this program called Book Pals, and they have actors go out to elementary schools and read. And I've been doing this for um, all this year, and then another year I did it. And I think it's just a, it's a heck of a lot of fun. The kids seem to enjoy it. I've been uh, going to this school called Wilshire Crest, which is on Olympic Boulevard and uh, La Brea. And I want to send a shout out to those kids out there at Wilshire Crest in, uh, Elementary. Uh, and it's, I've just been having a great time. So if you can get involved in anything like that, if you're a member of SAG, give them a call. Or uh, I know there are many other organizations like this, and I just highly recommend it. Okay, so... Here, I, I'm in Playa del Rey for a reason, and that is a, a little backstory here. One day I was on the set of, um, I was on the lot at Warner Brothers, and I decided to kind of walk around and take a look at what was going on. And I saw this uh, soundstage, and I thought, well, maybe they were filming West Wing in there or something like that, so I thought I'd see, you know, what I could check out. And I went in there, and there was a a small filming going on and I watched for a little while and I was standing there watching them do this film and I saw somebody who looked like Steven Spielberg walk by and I was like oh wow that guy kinda looks like Steven Spielberg but it's a very small film it seems because there weren't very many people there and then this guy walked up to me and he said excuse me um, who are you and I said uh, well I'm Joel Marshall uh, and he said are you affiliated with this in any way and then I realized that I was caught and I said uh, no, I'm not. And this guy was really nice to me. He uh, took me aside and said, well, this is really a closed set. Uh, it's it's uh, Steven Spielberg's movie. It's called AI. And maybe you've seen it. Um, but uh, he was just a really good guy to me. And I, I thought about him because I've been interviewing so many filmmakers. And I gave him a call. And he is gracious enough to be here with me today while I'm here at his house in uh, Playa del Rey. His name's Dave Vengus. Hi, Dave. How are you? It's very nice to have you here. Great. Now everyone knows I break security. <laughs> no. No. It just, everybody knows that he's a really good guy. And he's also, uh, from what I can tell, one of the best ADs around. And he's also a director. Um, and could you tell me a little bit about what an AD is? Uh, an AD, an assistant director, is, and the best way of explaining an assistant director's job is that we are the coordinators of the set. Um, our job is to take the many facets of a movie set and bring it all together. We do everything from scheduling the film, uh, working hand-in-hand -hand with the director, the producers, uh, and the crew to get everything on set. Our job is to make sure the director has what he or she needs on the set every single day. And um, Our job is to schedule the movie properly so they can budget it. And, uh, and then on the day, we have to make sure that everything runs smoothly. And, 
we are the eyes and ears, the line of communication for the film. Um, we take a lot of responsibility of just making sure that things are getting through to the director so they can do their job. So would you say it's somebody who just makes sure that everything gets done? Are you pretty much in charge to make sure that when the director says, I want a green couch over here, you basically make sure that that happens? Yeah, and I guess the best way to explain our job is that we are, I guess the line of communication is the best way. Our job mm -hmm. is to communicate what the director wants to the departments um, so they know that the green couch is needed in a certain scene. They mm -hmm. need to know what day it is by, because through our schedules they know when they need to shoot something, when they need to something done. Um, we have, it's a balancing act. It, it, we, um, to create a schedule has to deal with a number of things. It's the availability of a location, availability of a stage, availability of actors, um, when things, certain things are ready and effects. You have to take all these departments, make sure it's all somehow or another comes together so it makes sense when you shoot it. I see. Uh, what do these schedules look like and when do you prepare them? Uh, well, you, the schedule is an ongoing process. It's never really done. I wish, for instance, uh, the film I'm doing right now, uh, I think I counted 40 different schedules <laughs> for the film. Uh, the very first one we, sh um, we did way back in September of 2004 um, when we started scheduling. Normally, you do preliminary schedules. When you start a film, you take the information you have and you do a schedule for budgeting purposes. You come up with the number of days that a film is going to be shot in and how many days, for instance. Well, right now I'm working on Pirates of the Caribbean mm -hmm. uh, 2 and 3, the two sequels are doing back to so back. So you shot both of them, or you're shooting? We're shooting. Well, we shot P2. Pirates mm -hmm. 2 is done. It'll be out in July, 4th of July weekend. Um, same cast came back. Everyone's, it's great. It's a terrific really? film. I'm allowed to say that, aren't I? Yeah, you, you Good, say Jerry Bro Tell Jerry Bruckheimer I said that. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's a, it is a really, truly a terrific film that actually right. held, held the same charm. But when we started prepping that, I had to put together a schedule. And the joke of it, we had to schedule both these movies together as if it was one giant movie. So we had to take the information we had at hand. And at the time, we only had a, a script for P2 and an outline for P3. So it was difficult to schedule P3. So we would basically came up with an agreement of how many days both films would be shot in total. And then you'd start scheduling out the film the best way possible, and which involves shooting in four different countries, um, numerous number of stages, Disney and Universal here. Um, we shot in Palos Verdes here in, uh, um, in Los Angeles, we're going to shoot in Palmdale, we'll shoot in Utah, we'll shoot in Hawaii, we'll shoot in uh, Santa Barbara, we shot in the islands of Dominica, uh, St. Vincent, uh, the Exumas, the Bahamas. Wow. And, um, and so it's a lot of different, so when you do a preliminary schedule, it's pretty much to start laying the groundwork for how you're going to proceed. And eventually you have to put a, what we call locked-in schedule. And once the schedule changes, we change it by color. Um, you know, you'll go from a white schedule to a blue schedule to a cherry schedule. And that's the color of the paper. Yeah, they mm -hmm. change the color of the paper to reflect the, the new schedule as you're doing. And schedules change; they evolve. They change when things happen. Um, availability of actors, or something goes wrong, or something happens that you can't shoot, or you need to change schedule for whatever reason. It can be a million different reasons that you've changed schedule. We have to stay on top of it, make sure we do to get it done. Yeah. In um, a movie this size, your schedule is going to change constantly, um, based on. Um, Numerous reasons. I mean, everything from weather to a set availability was an issue on this movie. Hmm. What do you, uh, do you use a particular type of software to do the scheduling? Or? Yeah, the most popular software in, uh, in Hollywood is called Movie Magic. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, I, I don't like to word, use the word monopoly, uh, but they really do. They have, I don't want to say they have a monopoly because I don't want to make it sound like there's no competition because there is competition, but the most popular version of uh, scheduling and budgeting um, software out there right now is called Movie Magic Scheduling and Movie Magic Budgeting. Um, so it is, it's pretty much the standard in Hollywood today. When do they usually hire you for a film? Is it really early on? Yeah, well, no, the first AD's hired, uh, it depends on who. There's, just to backtrack for a second, there's a number of ADs on a film. Oh, yeah. Normal film will have three ADs minimum. Uh, you'll have a first AD, then a second AD, and then what's called a second, second AD. The responsibilities differ quite a bit. Uh, and ADs are utilized in different ways. I'm the first AD on these movies right now. Um, and the second AD's primary responsibility is to, to make sure that the first AD has everything he or she needs on set. Uh, the first AD runs the set with the director, is involved with the scheduling, is involved with the movie. They have to know everything. They have to know, as um, my job, I've got to know the movie better than anybody. And so at times you have to know the movie better than even the director does because there's stuff that he or she doesn't want to deal with and they can't, they don't have time to deal with, so it's my job to do that. And then I rely on my second AD to keep the behind the scenes going, because I don't have time to do that if I'm on set. And a second second is usually um, the extra hand as an assistant director that will work with the background, um, setting background, being on the set, um, and help out with the paperwork necessary. Um, all three are unbelievably important positions. Do you ever have to make sure that it stays on schedule? Or is that your oh, job? Yeah, That's your yeah job it's my main responsibility is to try to stay on schedule. Um, it's not always gonna happen. So when you do fall behind schedule, or sometimes get ahead of schedule if you're doing really well, you have to adjust. Sometimes getting ahead of schedule is worse than falling behind because you have to figure out how to pull things up because you always have to be shooting. So no matter what, fall ahead or um, fall behind, I should say, or jump ahead, you, you have to f constantly be shooting. So you have to always be juggling the schedule so you, you allow yourself something to shoot. One of my favorite stories actually on AI was <coughs> we had a huge sequence in AI called the Flesh Fair. Mm -hmm. And we shot at the, um, the Spruce Goose Dome and we got down there, and I think we had scheduled originally for, I'm guessing now, like 10 days or 11 days. And um, we got that, it was very specifically scheduled out that sequence for that period of time. And everything you can imagine was involved in that sequence. Big, huge crowds, concert was going on, pyrotechnics, animatronics, visual effects, we had children involved. I mean, it was just, I can go on and on, it was motorcycles, stunts, I mean, everything was, that you could possibly imagine was in the sequence. And we were nervous we weren't going to get it done. We were nervous we were a really tight schedule. And Stephen got there on the first day of shooting. He gets in there and he says, I've got a problem. He said, he goes, um, he goes, I'm not going to finish this in the 10 days. I'm like, oh, God. I'm like, well, what do you want us to do? And he's like, oh, no, you don't get it. I'm going to finish this in eight. Really? And we're like, okay. <laughs> and God bless him, he did. He finished in eight days. Really? And we had to scramble to figure out where we were going to go early. And it was a scramble. Well, we did it. We figured it out. But it's um, sometimes you have a director who's going to get ahead of himself. And, um, so that is going to be definitely going to happen. So my job is to make, make sure with everyone else's help to stay on schedule. So you've worked with a lot of different directors that yeah. are of, really of some weight. Uh, yes. Steven Spielberg. You've done several films with him, right? I've done four films with Steven. Mm -hmm. I did AI, uh, Minari Report, Catch Me If You Can in the Terminal. Wow. Um, as an AD, do you, I was second AD on this one. Do you find him to work differently than other directors? Yeah, everyone's going to work differently. Um, listen, he's Steven Spielberg, so if I had to pick my favorite director, yeah, it's going to be him. And mm -hmm. not just because he's Steven Spielberg, 
it's because he truly deserves the credit he gets. He is, he's a brilliant man. He's a brilliant mind. He's, he knows storytelling better than I've ever seen. Um, but at the same time, it's, after four years of working someone, you start picking and choosing what you like or don't like how a person works. And there's some stuff that Stephen um, does that I'm not particularly... I wouldn't do if I directed. I think mm -hmm. I'd pick my own style. So everyone has their own style. Everyone works differently. Steven is very hands-on, but he also is one of these directors that lets people do their jobs. But they go into doing their jobs with all the information they need. So there's no question with him. And he also brings back the same people constantly. So there's a recognition factor and a familiarity that he works with. Um, so after a while, it's almost like reading each other's minds, and it works out really well. But the information with Stephen, the information is there. You know what he wants. He's very specific, and you make your days because of that. And he's very accommodating in that respect, and that's why he's you know he's brilliant. You walk in, and you, there's no question of when you're shooting that day. Mm -hmm. Very efficient, I would assume. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, efficient. you said eight days instead of ten. Yeah. Um, what about Natural Born Killers? Did you work on that? Yeah, I did that. It was my second Oliver Stone movie. What was that like? It was crazy. Yeah. If I had to pick. Probably the worst shooting experience in my career, but yet the most exciting. Uh -huh. It would have been Natural Born Killers. It was. It was this. I had a love hate relationship with Natural Born Killers. Um, I loved it because it was hands down to date. No movie will be more challenging, or more difficult, or more exhausting than Natural Born Killers. And it's funny because even the movies I'm doing right now, which are, I'm doing some of the hardest stuff I've ever shot in a movie in parts two and three. Natural One Killers was not only just physically exhausting, it was emotionally exhausting. It was a road movie. We traveled all over the place, all over the Southwest. We ended up shooting the last month in a prison, a maximum scary prison, a real maximum scary prison with real prisoners. And I'm not talking real. about five or That's ten, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of real prisoners, all of which of whom killed someone at one point in their lives because they're in there for a reason. And it was tough. It was hard. It, Oliver, Oliver is an extraordinary person to work with and not always good not always bad but I really do like working for him and uh, you know I miss working for him I haven't worked with him since Natural Born Killers and, um, it was interesting I did JFK and I saw one Oliver um, uh, I saw an Oliver who was dedicated and passionate and he was very on the ball with the JFK he was very passionate about that story and uh, I loved working on JFK JFK to me was yeah, learning experience. My favorite part of it was when I first got the job, he asked me what I thought about the Kennedy assassination. And I said, oh, I wasn't even born yet. Lincoln got assassinated. Kennedy got assassinated. Big deal. <laughs> but at the end of the movie, you couldn't shut me up. Really? Oh, uh, yeah. I, you know, and I didn't fall into, I don't want to say I fell into his conspiracy theory, mm -hmm. but I came up with my own concept of what happened that day. And I'm not going to get into the politics of that. But what was interesting was with Oliver, he was very passionate about that story. And he was an emotional Oliver Stone. It was interesting because my first time with him and then suddenly we do Natural Born Killers which was this Oliver who's just as passionate but in a completely different way. He was passionate in respect to trying to show the world um, as he put it he wanted to put a mirror up to the audience and allow them to see the violence you know you asked for it you got it kind of this is the violence you guys crave and that was the point of the film you know a lot of people were you know, like mortified by the violence in the film but the problem is you can't show the atrocity of violence in film and television and the or extreme part of that without being just as extreme and or even more extreme. So he, he you know, he did, he took liberties, which some people I think questioned. I thought it was great. And I, I can't say that I'm a huge fan of violence yeah. in films. And I saw that film 
one right after another because yeah. I was so impressed by it. Because I think, in my mind, I understood that he was trying to go as far as he could with that yeah. because we had seen all these kind of glorified violence movies, yeah. uh, California or uh, Wild at Heart, things like that, where violence seemed to be sort of becoming a commonplace kind of thing when you went to see a movie. It wasn't as shocking. Well, he kind of pushed that as far as he could and then also pushed the medium, I felt, um, the way the shooting styles and the different things he did with the uh, media was just blew me away. Well, that was anyway. if you really look back at the time, you know, it was the joke of it. The time that movie came out, we 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 were obsessed with the O.J. Simpson trial, and the Menendez brothers, and Geraldo Rivera's, and, and um, you know, we were obsessed with violence. I mean, mm -hmm. we were obsessed. We loved rooting for the bad guy, and we were making heroes out of. Oh, very evil people. Silence of the Lambs, or, yeah, exactly. or that movie Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Mm -hmm. I saw that in a, in a theater in Chicago, and I tell you, there were people cheering for this guy. By the yeah. end of the movie, I felt like I needed to walk out almost, because it just seemed like we were so twisted. Well, we do. Look at society. I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit I do it. I, um, you know, we, we are obsessed about the people that we're horrified over. I mean... We've created a hero out of Tony Soprano and, mm -hmm. and The Shield. I was talking to a friend of mine about The Shield and The Sopranos today. And the fact of the matter is we've created heroes out of very terrible people. I think if you asked the old American, said, where should Tony Soprano be right now? They'd all see him in prison or on death row or mm -hmm. for what he's done. But we still like him. And I just saw V for Vendetta the other night. And, you know, without giving anything away about the film, if any, people, your audience hasn't seen it yet, it's, they glorify. I don't, I don't want to say that. I'll take that back. It wasn't glorified. But they justify in their own way, terrorism. Mm -hmm. And that's a really ballsy thing to be doing in today's day and age. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Oliver was trying to do with Natural Born Killers, was saying, we want it. We, we make heroes out of these people. We like making heroes out of violence, of violent people and, and criminals. And he was just trying to show, this is what we're asking for. We like the Mickeys and Mallory's of the world. They excite us because I'm sure there's a... You know, there's a sick part of us, we all like that. Mm -hmm. As a, an experience to shoot the film was nauseating because at times, because after a while, violence every day becomes emotionally exhausting. Even if you're doing it, it's fake. Mm -hmm. There's only so much, you know. And so how long did it take to shoot that film? Oh, I don't remember. No, this is I honestly don't remember. But I, if I had to guess, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 65 to 70 days, I guess. I might be way off on that. I can't remember anymore. But it was... um. Felt like a long time though. Felt like a really long time. Might even more, to be quite frank with you. It was um, it's funny because I had done that one in Forest Gump back to back, and I remember I was in the prison, <laughs> I was in the the maximum security prison in the parking lot, and I got this phone call saying we're doing this movie called Forest Gump, and I didn't understand what she was saying. I'm like Forest what? <laughs> and she said, oh no, it's a great movie called Forest Gump, and we want you to start, and you need to start in two weeks. And I'm like oh god, I, I I'm finished with this movie in a week and a half. I I want to oh, go god. home. I'm tired. I first said no, and she said, well, read the script, and they sent me the script, and I read it, and I was like, oh, God, and I knew it was going to be a brilliant film, so I took Forrest Gump, but, so I was away for a long time, I was, that's, so I guess that's why it's hard to JFK, Natural Born Killers, Forrest Gump, that must have been a lot of shooting. Well, JFK yeah. wasn't back-to-back to, back to Natural Born Killers. I had done some other films between JFK and Natural Born Killers, not mm -hmm. that many. I don't remember my resume anymore. I did JFK, and after JFK, I believe I did... Uh, I don't remember. I did a couple of other films after JFK. I believe I did Night in the City. I uh, did The Age of Innocence. Um, I was a couple of films before I, I got into that. 
Wow. Um, started working with some people in New York. So, and then I did National Point Killers. Um, National Point Killers was my first AD job, actually. Everything up before that was a PA job. So that's how you started in the industry, doing PA jobs? Is yeah, I was in New York. I was a production assistant in New York, working on uh, starting television, starting the Cosby Show oh. in 1987. I've just dated myself. That's okay. Hope your audience can add. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. And I did that, and then I did um, television. I did a lot of cop shows, you know, uh -huh. Law and Order. I, I did the pilot of Law and Order. I show called Help at the time. And Return of Kojak. Really? <laughs> I don't know why they returned Kojak, but they did. Um, but it was, uh, I did that, and I started doing, after that, I started doing, like, mob movies. I was doing all the, you know, Robert De Niro movies, mm -hmm. which were fun. I did Godfather 3 and The Bronx Tale and Carlito's Way and um, Part of Goodfellas and Wow. Um, so I was, I was doing all these mob movies, Night in the City. They were fun. I, it was the New York kind of genre that we were doing at the time. So is your union the Director's Guild? It is, yeah. The Director's Guild. Of and how do you get into the Director's Guild? Um, it's difficult. It's actually, when I got in, it's kind of similar, but it's changed a lot. There is, for those people joining now, there's a number of ways you can get in. And the most common way that people do, and the way I did, was you work 600 days as a production system, I have to repeat that, 600 days, not hours, mm -hmm. 600 days wow. production system. So, and your PA days have to be in film projects, be it television or film, it has to be film, can't be videotape or can't be tape. Um, and that you have to document those 600 days in a book using pay stubs and using production reports and call sheets. And once you get your 600 days, and you can get them anywhere you want, you can be all over the country, you can be in Los Angeles, even LA's um, PAs do it. But once you do it, you have to join on the East Coast. And once you join on the East Coast, then you become an AD, but you only become qualified. You don't become qualified yet for the West Coast. So the problem there for production assistants, they then have to make up 158 AD days before they can actually work in Southern California. And 75 of those AD days have to be in commercials, and which is complicated because film people don't work in commercials, it's a completely different world. So it's become really more, much more complicated than when I was. When I was in, you had to do the 150 days, but it could be in any film project that it was. And it was easy for me because I actually completed my 150 days on um, National Born Killers and Forrest Gump back to back. And I was just, I was one of the lucky people to do that. And then I moved to LA. Um, now they have to go through this whole rigmarole. And a lot of these PAs get into the guild and never, they actually never get work because the union keeps them from working in LA because of this rule. The second way you get in is to join what's called the Director's Guild Trainee Program. And you apply, I think it's once a year, there's an application process. And it's complicated, and it's difficult, and it, it is very competitive. And there are a lot of trainee potentials that go into this program, and they try to get in, and they don't get in, and many do. And if you do that, I believe you have to do, I think, 350 days as a trainee. The benefit there is, once you're in the program, they find you work, they place you in work. Uh, the pay is a little more than a PA, but it's going towards the Director's Guild credit. And once you get into the, once you graduate from the program, you get into the Guild and you can work automatically in Los Angeles. They have one in New York and they have one in LA, the mm -hmm. training programs too separate. And the third way is to do non-union work and then you can become a non-union AD. And I believe it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 400, I'm not really sure, 400 days as a non-union, document as a non-union AD, not PA, but AD, and you can get into the Guild that way. So there's a couple of ways you can get in. The most efficient, honestly, in my opinion now, is the trainee program. I wish they revamped the whole program personally. I think, it's, I think the whole program is badly executed, badly run. Um, and, but not at the fault of the Director's Guild. I think it's at the fault of ADs also. I think that trainees are not 
utilized the way they should be by assistant directors. And I think that's a big, big issue. And I think they're not being trained as well as they should be. So we're putting out pretty lousy ADs. Not all. Some of the trainees are terrific ADs, but I'm not thrilled with a lot of them. Hmm. Now, when you work as an AD, do you continually get jobs? How do you get jobs? I mean, you let's say you finish right a job. <laughs> you sleep with the right You sleep people. around a lot. <laughs> you do. You sleep with a lot of people. But you start to know uh, no, directors and they... You, you do. It's word of mouth. ADing is really... It's your, your reputation has to. You're only as good as your last movie, trust uh -huh. me. People forget you worked on Forrest Gump, and rightfully so. I mean, it's just that it doesn't, it's just not like that. You're only, you really are as good as your last movie. And the hardest part of ADing is you do get pigeonholed very quickly into a position. I became a pretty successful second AD. Mm -hmm. I think people thought I did a good job, and I think I became pretty popular, and I was getting Steven Spielberg movies. And so I, the problem was it was difficult for me to break into getting first AD work because I was getting, I was, I was too good at a second AD, in my opinion, where people didn't want. They, you know, first ADs didn't want to lose me in that position, so it became more difficult. And I didn't get aggressive enough to find first AD work, but you, you, you do have to hustle for to work and to get the work. At times, or your reputation, um, if your reputation is good and people like you, usually that's it. I mean, I've been lucky that I haven't had to really look for work a lot. That could change, though. And do you I don't take anything give people work? Like, when you're hired as, a, as an AD, do they say, okay, now hire this, the rest of this crew? Or who oh, do yeah, yeah. My job is to hire my staff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there are times you have to get approval on your staff from producers and stuff. And, you know, that's, that's normal. But, um, but yeah, my job is to hire the, the second AD and the second second, and then the production assistants. Um, mm -hmm. I have set PAs that are on the show work with us. So I have a staff of normally two other ADs and maybe five PAs is a normal um, staff and then a trainee, of course. If you go with the training program, you'll hire trainees also for the guild. So you, that'll be that'll complement my staff. It really depends on the size of the show. Sometimes you'll have less PAs and more AD. I, you know, it really depends on what the budgeted for. But yeah, my job is to hire. Okay, now I want to shift gears here and talk about your own directing project. And uh, I know you, you directed a film called, they call him Sasquatch. They call him Sasquatch, yeah. Could you tell me a little <laughs> bit about that experience? Yeah, it was fun. I have to say it was a lot of fun. I wanted to direct for a while, and I actually directed a short film in, I think it was 1996, and I, um, to backtrack for a minute, I was working with Oliver Stone, uh -huh. and I said to Oliver, I said, I want to direct. And you know, he said, what are you doing to direct? And I said, well, you know, I'm trying to write this short film, I want to do a short film. And he said, do yourself a favor, direct a silent short. And I said, I direct, I said, why? And he said, because if you can tell a story visually without the aid of dialogue, you've done your job as a director. And he said, it's, it's more difficult to use pictures. That's what we do. We use, we use moving pictures. And I think many directors forget that. They get so caught up in the visual effects and the and dialogue, and they let actors kind of do whatever, that they forget that our, our job is to tell a story visually and to use moving pictures to tell a story. And we forget that. So I took, took him to heat and I did that. I wrote a silent short. I was brilliantly lucky enough to use Tim Conway as my lead. And I don't know if mm -hmm. you know Tim Conway. Sure. For those young people, you probably don't know him, but he go rent Apple Dumpling Gang from Disney years ago and he was on the Carol Burnett show. And he's brilliant. He's on a I'd show say called... I'd say he's a comic genius. Oh, he, he really, really is. is. He was on, yeah, he's on a TV show called Yes Dear right now. That's hilarious. He's a start, but he was kind enough, so kind enough to do this short film. And I did this short film with him and that was back then and then I was pining to do another film and I started ADing and you get caught up in the money and all this stuff and working constantly as an AD 
and I wanted to get a film off the ground to direct and finally decided that screw it, I'm just going to do it. And I um, wrote this uh, treatment and the idea originally for They Call Him Sasquatch was to write a, um, a film that would be 100% improv and hire improv actors. I didn't have a whole lot of money thinking of something I could shoot digitally because it was a cheaper format and I knew didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of time. And I didn't have anything at the time, to be honest with you. So I wrote the 27-page uh, treatment outline of this story um, and figured this is perfect. I'll let everyone improv. And I wrote scene by scene exactly what would happen in the scene without any dialogue. And I, I started moving forward. And then I needed financing, and my family actually helped me finance the film. I put money up my dad, my sister, uh, a couple of my friends, my uncle. And we raised $100,000. We shot the whole thing for $100,000. And... Um, and we then started casting, and I decided to go over ahead and start doing this, and we casted. I was lucky enough to get Gary Marshall in the film. Whom you've also worked with as an AD, right? Whoever worked as an AD, yeah. I've done yeah. three movies with Gary as an AD. And uh, I was lucky enough to get him to work on the film. And I worked with him fun. in uh, Chicago, and I just find... Oh, he what? directed this play called Wrong Turn at yeah. Lovefish. And I was uh, I was an assistant stage manager on it. Excellent. And uh, I just found him to be delightful. He's, he's delightful funny. Guy. He's great. Gary's funny with the voice, but he's um <laughs> he's brilliant. I love working with yeah. him. He's he's like he I works in a different sort of way too. I I know another film he worked on was Dear God, which was that was the first film with him. Dear which God, which was yeah. something that I was around because I had worked with him in Chicago and I was new to LA yeah. and I had been talking to them and I auditioned for that. I remember and uh, I was on the set and. Yeah. I noticed that he will sometimes, I mean, he was writing a scene on the front of a, a car yeah, one time. Right. I mean, he probably works in a different way. Than he definitely has his own style. He's, his communication style is funny. One of my favorite stories to Gary, and I'm about to do my Gary Marshall impersonation, was uh, I was working on a movie called uh, The Other Sister with Diane Keaton, mm -hmm. Tom Skerritt, and Juliette Lewis, and Giovanna Ribisi. And Julia, I'm sorry, uh, Diane Keaton and Tom Skerritt were both in the scene. And Gary walked up, and they hadn't really had much interaction with Gary yet. And he's funny. He's always eating something. He's always got a toothpick in his mouth. And he walks up, and he's like, hey, the girl and the boy are here. doesn't remember anyone's name. Everyone's the girl or the boy. And they both look at him, and they say, the girl or the boy? They're looking around, and he's like, hey, the girl or the boy, this is good. How are you doing? Good morning. This is going to be fun. We're going to do some stuff here. And I was like, okay, you go on, and when you're talking to each other, you say the stuff they wrote on the paper for you, you know, the, yeah, yeah, look at the little piece of paper. Piggy, maybe you take, pick this thing up and you hold that. Tell you what, let's just be funny, okay? All right, here we go. And he walked away. And they all, two of them looked at each other and were like, what was that? And we're like, that was Gary directing. So it was, um, he is he's charming. He's amazing. He's funny. He knows comedy better than anyone. I How mean, was he as know. an actor in your show? He was great. He was, yeah. It was scary. I asked him to do this. See, I only needed him one day, and I needed him, and he asked, actually let us use his office up in Burbank, up at the Falcon Theater. Um, that's a theater he runs up in Yeah, Burbank. he has a theater yeah. in Burbank called the Falcon Theater, so that's also, it's a live theater. Yes. And then his, he works his uh, production And he's actually doing Happy Days right now. He's doing Happy, Happy Days, Days is the musical. Happy Days is the musical, right. right. And he, um, so we were using his office, and... He'd, he'd suggested doing this, and um, took took him about a, uh, a week to figure out what the word Sasquatch meant. <laughs> but, uh, so he came in, and I was we were ready to go, and we had set dressed the whole office up to look like a news. I was supposed to play the head of a news station that sends his top reporter, played by Neil McDonough, who was in my lead in this movie, up on this expedition to uh, find Bigfoot. And um, he gets in there, and I realized right away he hasn't read a, a word of. 
dialogue in the script. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, he hasn't memorized any of this dialogue. So he lay out, he goes, why don't I just put it on the desk, I'll just sit here and I'll just look at it, it'll be good. And I'm like, all right. So the first couple of takes were painful, and Neil McDonough was in the other room, and he was supposed to be talking to Neil through it. Um, a speakerphone on the uh, phone, Neil was supposed to be in his car on his cell phone. And he, we're going through this scene, and it took a couple takes to get up to speed, and Gary fascinated me. He literally had this stuff memorized in about two takes, and he, he needed to look down less. And at one point, I said, Gary, why don't we try, maybe you should be doing something so it doesn't look like you're reading the paper. And he said, oh, it's a good, I can write things down. I said, great. He goes, maybe I could be eating. And I'm like, I like to eat. I'm like, yes, you do. So what would you like to eat? He said, tuna and banana. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, okay. So we got him tuna and banana, put it on the desk, and he's eating the tuna and banana. He's doing the scene, and in the middle of the scene, we're rolling and we're just playing as one shot. Middle of the scene, he just stops. He's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. He's pressing buttons. I ran out of bananas. Stacy, I need more bananas. I need. So my DP is looking at me. He said, what are we doing? Look at him. He's like, cut. And I'm like, no, keep it going. And he's sitting there yelling for more bananas. Stacy, I ran out of bananas. I need more bananas. Anyone got need more bananas? So. I kept it in the movie. It's brilliant. Oh, it was perfect. There was there was his character. It was ter- it was fun, and he was great. And the whole cast was terrific. Casting that movie was brilliant. Uh, the cast were a bunch of pretty much unknowns that I found at comedy clubs. Uh, Jordan Black, who's now on a TV series called um, Oh I forget Free Ride, I think it's called. It's on one of these networks, Fox or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, where can people um, uh, get this movie? It's uh, it's on Amazon.com right now. It is okay. actually it's in stores now. Probably not as um, available in, in stores as it is on Amazon.com. But if you go to Amazon.com and just click on They Call Him Sasquatch, we're gonna check um, that out. We uh, it's fun. Uh, growing up in Seattle, we had an obsession with Bigfoot because we all, at least I always thought yeah. he was around the corner somewhere, uh, you know, ready to attack me or whatever yeah. <laughs> Bigfoot does. Uh, so that's great. So I have to wrap things up because we're getting uh, running out of running time. Running out of tape. Though. We're running out of tape. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the show, of course, our listeners know this. Uh, we do a thing called film bites, right. where we say something that uh, people out there that are making their first film can use right now to make a better film. I'm going to say mine. Mine. Um, mine is is pretty much. Don't be afraid. To take that first step. You know, you might have been thinking about making a film or thinking about ideas for things, um, but never actually putting them into action. Don't be afraid to do that. Everybody's afraid the first time they, they do something. I'm often afraid to do something, and you just push through that and you get to the other side. And that's my film bite. I'm going to steal um, Steven Spielberg. So you're all going to get advice from Steven Spielberg through me. Someone asked him one day, How do I become a director? And Steven simply looked at him and he said, grab a camera and shoot. That's fantastic. I'm going to have to steal one from Gary yes. Marshall uh, when I worked with him in Chicago. He said, if you want to succeed in, in Hollywood, in the industry, write your own stuff yes. and then attach yourself to it. Sure. And say, this won't be made unless I'm directing it or whatever it is you want to do. Uh, so thank you for joining us, Dave. I oh, appreciate that. I appreciate that. And, uh, to everybody out there, if you have any questions or suggestions, just email us at filmshots at gmail.com, and we'll catch you next week. Bye.